I was grinding. I was saying yes to every opportunity. Like people don't really realize that I was actually, I think I was uninterrupted before you, bro. You were. So, uh, you were OG. So I'm you an gotta OG. Call me like, out everyone everybody talks about, <laughs> I know. Like I came in and met with Jimmy Spencer, Allison. I can't remember who else was in there. Allison's my agent. She's here. Two other people, huh? Oh, she said something. I can't remember. Just remember Jimmy. <laughs> Hawk. Hawk Wouldn't that be messed there. up if I was in the room and you didn't remember me? I would have looked right over you. Um, uh, so <laughs> Messed up, Janae. Welcome to Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, but you can call me Hawk as usual. Now, as you all know, I am here to guide you through the extended version of the Needing Dough video series. But today we are shifting to our mini-series, Branching Out. Now, in Branching Out, I sit down with amazing athletes who have created their own paths and found success beyond their sports careers. Now, before we get started with this conversation, featuring WNBA superstar Cheney Ogumake, make sure you subscribe to Needing Dough the Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. It's fast, it's free, and it helps support the show. And now, it is my honor to introduce Cheney Ogumake. Cheney is a WNBA All-Star and a former Rookie of the Year. She plays for the Los Angeles Sparks alongside her sister, Neka, and she's also a rising media talent. That's right, in addition to playing hoops, she's carved out a successful career as an NBA analyst for ESPN. During our conversation, she shared so many great insights about her journey, from growing up outside of Houston, Texas, to choosing to play at Stanford, the grind of competing overseas, and the bold decisions she's made to grow her career on and off the court. All right, now let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Janae Ogumake at the LA Forum. Hey guys, we actually practiced that hug. I hope you. Yeah, know. we actually that was our third rep at that, because if I go frontal, it's like I have to squat. No. As offense. you can see, my as you can see, my feet are dangling. So we had to. <laughs> I took real coordination. All right, Janae, well, welcome to Branching Out. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So let's start here. You you grew up in Cypress, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston, right? Shout out to Texas. We got some Texas representatives here. H-Town, what part? West Side. Okay. Okay. My homegirl grew up in Houston. Beyonce, you, you heard of her? That ain't your friend. That's a good friend of mine. That she is grew up. not his friend. Yeah, she always reps that. Okay, so what is your earliest memory of money? My earliest memory of money. So it's actually funny. It's tied to basketball. Really? So my big sis, Naka, it's a really, really long story. And he, like, had this amazing intro of me. My sister's intro is, like, ten times better. <laughs> WNBA champion, uh, WNBA all-star, like, six times in a row, all-league defense, first team, all that stuff. Dang. She had a real MVP, literally. Um, <laughs> but growing up in Houston, Texas, we fell into basketball and fell in love with it. So we started off in gymnastics. And I always tell this story about how when um, my mom, she had us in gymnastics, because I have three sisters. And so um, we were pretty much like, we were great. Nigerian American household, academics comes first. But with four girls in the house in Houston, Texas, we were tearing that house up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, my mom put us in gymnastics to sort of tire us. It's right next to our neighborhood. And so my mom's coworker basically said, hey, you, why are your girls in gymnastics? They're tall, they're long and lanky. That's their wrong sport. And then looking back, I always tell people, I should have known because you know the uneven bars. I'd always like never make it over. Not Simone Biles, <laughs> I'd never make it over. Why? Because my butt was hitting the ground every time because my legs were so long. So we finally went into basketball based on my mom's co-worker's advice. And then um, we started playing basketball. The first basketball practice I had, I was tragic. We were horrible. As my big <laughs> sis and I, like my big sis's first shot went not only over the backboard, it went over the backboard, over the scoreboard. Like it was horrible. <laughs> 
Um, so, but I like hid and I, I could not handle not doing something I was good at. That's why I don't bowl. That's why I don't play NBA 2K. The list goes <laughs> on and on. Um, so my sister played that first year of basketball by herself. And she, again, was not the best. But the way my dad sort of motivated her was like, all right, NECA, every rebound, you get a dollar. And so us as sisters, we're all best friends and we're all close. We're like, all right, this is our chance, man. NECA go out there and catch them balls. We didn't even know how to play <laughs> basketball yet. So NECA would go and she'd get like four rebounds. And next thing it would be six and 10. And after the game, we're like, oh, yeah, NECA would just divvy, divvy out the money even, well, evenly for her. Um, <laughs> like maybe one, 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 and I keep seven. And then we use it to go like get snacks at the vending machine and stuff. But we'd always take a little bit of money and then put it in the in the box, like our little lock box, and just save it for something even bigger and better. I still don't even remember what was bigger and better that we bought. But that was my first experience with money. That's amazing. So my next question was, what was your first job? But it sounds like your first job was actually professional basketball. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, my first real, real job <laughs> was professional basketball. Yeah. But um, actually, my first job was I was a receptionist at our middle school in, uh, in Cypress, Texas, Hamilton Middle School. Uh -huh. So my parents, uh, my mom is in education. She started off as a special ed teacher, then became full-time teacher. She was my assistant principal with alongside my big sis. Um, then she was associate principal at a high school. Then in time for my little sister, she was principal. So they got all the perks. When your mom is AP, man, let me tell you, <laughs> like she was the disciplinarian. So like I was always, I remember, I will, I will never forget this. Um, I got a, like a C on some tests. And, like, I remember going to lunch and seeing my mom standing in the middle of the cafeteria. Like, she already knew just staring at me. Oh, goodness. But um, my mom's in education, and so it just was, you know, it's, it's just really interesting because as we grow and we manifested ourselves, um, you know, it's always been about, like, what's doing right, you know, for, right. for ourselves as sisters. Um, and that's every aspect of life, whether yeah. it's, you know, playing on the court, taking care of money, um, mm. just everything is just regimented starting in education. So... Uh and that would be a nightmare if my mom was at school because I used I'm to get in so you. much trouble that, it, honestly, I, I wouldn't be sitting up here today because she probably would have killed me by now. <laughs> my little sister's had it good, though. When yeah. she was principal, everyone wants to be nice to the principal. And, and the baby siblings always have it easier, too. They always too. do. All right, Not so my always t I, I said on this show before, my first job was actually a paper boy, but my first opportunity to make money was I was a, a Little League baseball player, and there would be these older guys who always played racquetball. And I would go up there because I thought it was fun when they, when they would hit the ball and it would get past them, the balls would go all over the place. So I would go back and forth and, like, snatch the balls. So it was, like, <laughs> actually working on my agility. And then afterwards, they would give me money. So they would give me, like, $5. Hey, that's good so money. I, yeah, I'd get, like, a little tip. But I would come home, and my dad, when i say, oh, I got $5, he would take $2 of it and say, hey, now I'm teaching you about taxes. And I wouldn't get the money. The rest of the money. They never taught me about taxes. I yeah. Don't about, I, the first time I learned about taxes was, was when I was drafted to Connecticut. And if you know Connecticut as a tax state, I remember looking at my pictures like, <laughs> like, what's going on here? Why is it so light? Who is Uncle Sam? Yeah. So, no, but you're right. Like, you know, those first jobs are memorable because, like, I used to go, hello, welcome to Hamilton Middle School. How may I help you? Because my mom was an AP. Uh -huh. And so we got paid probably, like, I think it was, like, $5 an hour. And we thought we were high rollers. Yeah. And that's when we're in, like, fourth, fifth grade, and my sisters and I would always rotate doing that first job. But we were, like you, like referees, too, when we were yeah. in high school. So tell me referees. this. What, what were some of the early lessons that your parents wanted to teach you about money? I think they just 
wanted us to know that it doesn't come easy, meaning yeah. like you have to work for it. And mm -hmm. it, it, at times it can really be inconvenient. Like, okay, we all are. So my dad, he travels a lot for his business. His business is primarily based in Nigeria, but he's mm -hmm. always here working as well. So when my dad is not, like he's in Africa, um, we'd all be together. My mom's working at a school, so we'd always, like the school was our playground. We'd yeah. go into the gym and have fun and all that stuff. But then we also were the receptionists. So like the first thing I just learned was like, it's work. Like answering the phone when you want to just go and play, you have to actually be committed. Chine, you're watching the phones from eight to noon. NECA's from noon to four. And so it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, we can't just have fun all the time and get paid for it. It's like right. you actually have to work. And then the second job being a basketball referee, um, <laughs> it was it was not so fun because referees are not the best job in the world. Yeah. Especially when you're in high school and you're dealing with like parents, kids and like just the hostility. But at least that money was a little bit better. It was like twelve dollars an hour. Okay. You know, so, yeah, like so you, you, you do three games. Twelve dollars an hour bucks, is, yeah. is big when you don't pay bills. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. we could combine like in one car, you know, that's gas back in the day in Texas. I mean, it was very cheap to get gas money. <laughs> All right. So you, now you're in high school and you've had two jobs already. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you opened a bank account? Who my mom. OK, so the first I've never opened a bank account like personally when I was in high school. Okay. But my mom has always kept a bank account for all of us. Saving was extremely important, meaning mm -hmm. for a girl, she opened, every time she gave birth to one of us, she opened a bank account and every month she put $25 in it. And mm -hmm. she just said, I'm going to do this for each one of my children and that's just how I'm building their savings. Um, and I go back and I, to this day I laugh. I'm like, Mom, you know, all of us got full-ride scholarships, so like, what's she doing with that money? <laughs> she I, never, like, paid the, never paid the piper. But um, I think it just taught us that like, we didn't know that basketball was going to transform our lives. But the fact that she was thinking so far in advance, right. like, I need to make sure I put these girls in a great position. Obviously, my dad had his own savings, but my mom just was a little bit more organized and methodical right. with how she um, distributed money and saved for us. Okay, I like that. So I, I have a question. Now we'll get onto your basketball career. Um, for me in football, when I was a sophomore, I went to a camp and there, I, you know, I wasn't really in my older brother played football and that encouraged me um, to get into the sport, but I never really took it serious. There was a kid there who everyone was talking about was so good or whatever, and I didn't know any difference. I went against him, and I balled out, Chanae, per Our usual. usual. <laughs> um, but that's when I knew. I'm like, oh, okay, I can probably do something with the game of football. At what point for you did it click for you that, oh, man, there's, I can take this beyond just having fun? So the first time I was personally really challenged when it came to basketball was when my sister graduated from high school. So we, as a Nigerian-American household, my parents and their generations, all generations behind them, were born and raised in Nigeria. We're the first generation born and raised in the U.S. So they didn't really know much about the possibility of getting a scholarship or anything. I remember right. uh, my mom was like, ah, why is this guy, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm, she, she doesn't really speak with an accent, but when we're in the house, sometimes it comes through. <laughs> She's like, oh, why is this guy coming, you know, just sitting and trying to be all the big guy, like, in my house, like, trying to take my <laughs> girls away from me to school. It was Gino Ariermo. <laughs> you know what I mean? UConn head coach. And, like, just the, the process of um, having these grown adults that are leaders in their own fields and communities, you know, women's basketball coaches coming and trying to, like, take her children away. Like, right. these are my children. These are my prizes, right? Um, so when my sister actually chose Stanford, it was a great mix of academics and athletics, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, she left, and we played together in high school 
for two years and we won a state championship and that was amazing but once she left I sort of was like how good am I going to be by myself because up until that point I had always played with her in AAU in middle school in high school so this is the first time I'm like how good am I right um and I I, and that happened to me again when I was at Stanford when she graduated was drafted number one in the WNBA I was like okay can I maintain so I think the first time I really realized I was like oh I can do this ish was when she left I struggled junior year we still made it to state but then the following year my senior year we made it to state and won and so Mm -hmm. I was like wow I'm good enough to do this on my own but it's so much more fun it's like what's that song what's that song it's a movement by myself, but we're a force when we're together. Oh, yeah. You know uh, what I mean? Like, neck and always Neo. jump. It's like, it's Neo. It's like, we're good by ourselves, but we're a force when we're together. I like that. So it sounds like your sister, like, had a huge influence on a lot of your decisions you made. Yeah. I mean, I, by, not by choice. I'm a middle sister. I got to get in formation, right? <laughs> right like, I right. just got to listen. So did, did, did money play any part in your decision to go to Stanford? Or opportunity, I guess, even? Yeah, it absolutely did because money can come in different forms. I think yeah. the compensation for me was a Stanford degree. Mm. So when it came to choosing between UConn, which was one of my choices, and Notre Dame, which were my final three, um, I just looked at the degree. I'm like, wow, a Stanford degree, sort of, you know, if you compare degrees, yeah. is is great compensation for my time and effort in playing sports and, and getting that opportunity. Now, I already was, like, a pretty decent student. So, like, if basketball never happened, maybe I would have gone elsewhere. But just Stanford was a great mix of both and I knew if anything else goes wrong god forbid it but like say I get injured I can't play mm-hmm. at least I'll have that degree and that degree will be putting me in a good position to get a job and to be financially successful on the other side right and, that, and that's that's a genius way to look at that especially so early on in life I wish that was my mindset coming out of high school because it wasn't <laughs> I passed sure. up on really really good schools because I was like oh their football team's not good enough but whatever floats your boat you know that was my that was not what floated my boat though just, that was dumb <laughs> but that's why we're having conversations like this so you're right. people can watch and know and maybe not do the same thing but you you still here so yeah you're right I guess we're on the same <laughs> stage we'll continue with Janae's college experience right after the break and we're back let's continue my conversation with Janae Okumake all right, tell me this. When, when you were in college, and I try to, and it's funny because every athlete that I've talked to that's played in college, they all describe it differently because their experiences are different. College is tough financially, especially for athletes who don't have a lot of time. So for you, give us an example of what the college experience was like financially. Woo! I was just going through my Facebook photos. Actually, I really wasn't. I would never do that traumatic thing to myself. I was really <laughs> dusty. Like, I was really dusty, meaning, like, I was, we all, you you think you're having a great time, you're like, wow, you're feeling yourself, you're in college, you're independent, you look back, dang, we really had no money, I was wearing the same leggings, like, every other day, wash them, don't worry, but, like, you know, it was just like, right. a, it was a different grind. It's <laughs> a hustle. It is a hustle. And I think that's one thing that people forget, especially when, whether you're a student athlete or whether you actually are trying to like work a job to put yourself through college, like a lot of people are balancing a lot, you right. know, while you're, while you're trying to find yourself and discover yourself. Yeah. But yeah, totally. Like the, the money situation is funny. Ironically today. So today I was on the jump. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the topics that came up last minute was the NCA basically adding more flexibility. Shout out to this platform and uninterrupted hey. for like sort of getting the Give ball a round of rolling, for uninterrupted. right? Like it's just sort of ironic that I'm here right now because the topic was the fact that the NCA has said they're trying to modernize and add more flexibility to their, mm-hmm. 
you know, forward views now. Like it, yep. that's that's a huge, huge step in the right direction. It's not like that rigid. We're gonna fight this old. We're gonna stay in this old system. Um, but like, it's just ironic because we're talking about it, and I was just talking to my sisters about my NCAA settlement check hey. that just came in the mail. I didn't get one. I'm upset because you're too old. Oh, it was for people up. that was like 2010 Thanks, to 2018. I graduated 14. Where are you uh. graduating? Okay, sorry. I'm not the, the guest here, okay? Yeah, okay, you're right. Stop you're trying right. to age me. I won't ask questions. But yeah, I got my settlement check, and that should tell you that already. Like, the settlement yeah. check was for $4,000. Basically, they were short on the cost of attendance while I was there, meaning, like, I could have had $1,000 per year more, you know, mm. while I was there, which, you know, you can say, like, that's nothing. It is everything to in, a college student. College? What? My Chipotle addiction stems from college. <laughs> like, it really does. Because, like, what? You can get a beefy, well, I always go for chicken, bowl for, like, $10. Like, that's where we started eating because we had to eat on a budget. Right. And even though my family, like, we're unfortunate that we had come from good, like, a good background um, and sense of financial stability. But, like, I didn't want to be the type of person that relied on my parents. Like, right. oh, mom, I need more money or I need groceries. I wanted to be able to handle it on my own. Right. right? So we yep. did get a few stipends, but the stipends never allowed us to just, you know, as athletes, how much we eat yep. or, like, how quickly yep. we wear through clothes. Like, stuff like that. It just didn't keep pace with it. So it was a grind. It was a grind. I mean, there are many times where my big sis, who was, like, you know, a little, she's like, hey, I'm cooking. I'm over there in two seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just the life of college athletics. Right. All right, so fast forward. You kill it at Stanford. Uh, you get drafted to the WNBA. You become Rookie of the Year. And then in the offseason, what do you have to do to continue making money then? So for people that aren't familiar with the WNBA, most WNBA players play overseas. Yep. And that's because, in the like, first of all, we get paid way more overseas than we get paid in the WNBA. Which is wild. It is, yeah. It, it's And, like, people... People get from one time to up to 12 times their salary in the WNBA wow. overseas. I played in Italy. I played in China. My big sister played in Poland, China, Russia for five years, and then China again. Um, we have a lot of players all over the globe. And so um, it's unfortunate that we're in that position. But currently, I'm on the WNBA Players Association, vice president. VP, the president is uh, my big sister. Nepotism, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, she looped me in, but I feel like we got to double team this league, put as much pressure on them. Um, but like, yeah, WNBA players, we just, it's its just a different hustle and it's a different grind. And I yeah. think the biggest misconception that we have um, in society is that everyone assumes WNBA players want NBA money. We look at LeBron James or we look at Steph Curry or we look at any other player, even the rookies, and say, we want that much money that they're making. No, that's not the case. We don't want equal pay. We want... Fair pay, mm. fair pay. Because if you look at the NBA, they make about 50% of the revenue. Like the players get 50% of the revenue back. Right. We we get not nearly as much, like a fraction of that. And what are you telling the men that their game, which they are the game, Yep. you guys are worth 50% of what you generate. But the women, they're only worth a fraction of that. That is fundamentally wrong. So that's the, the biggest change that you're, you're fighting for in the WNBA, fair. NBA yeah. 
discrepancy Fair. And like pay. we should have, yeah. And the thing is, is when it comes to inv like investment is everything. Um, you know, whether you invest your time or you invest your money. Mm -hmm. And right now we are really trying to get the NBA to invest more in us because we find it so easy for them to invest in the G League or invest in the NBA 2K right. League. But, you know, you invest in women and that's when it's sort of like the fact checkers come out and say, oh, like it's just, that's just the society we live in. Like once you're thinking or having a conversation right. about women, it's like, oh, well, this is a bonus activity for them. No, this is a livelihood. We're the best at what we do. Now, I know the NBA has 30 teams and they generate so much revenue, but we're only 23, 24 years young. Yeah. Very comparable to where the NBA was. Right. Instead of just staying on autopilot, why don't you invest in us, the best women's basketball players in the entire world, and actually see if this business can really move and shake, right? Right. Well, they got the right uh, VP and, and president. My sis has briefed me pretty well. I was going to say, yeah, she's... <laughs> She's done a good job. All right, so let's into the basketball side. So you start balling on the WNBA side as a professional playing overseas. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, you're one of the budding media stars, not just for ESPN and, and sports media in general. Where did that come from? Like, what, what was the motivation for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait until I'm done playing. I want to do it now. Yeah, people try to um, really take Ball's life until, like, they're having to make the next step in their life. Like, yeah. they can't play anymore. They can't lace him up anymore. Um, my dad has a saying that every disappointment is a blessing. Mm -hmm. And so after my rookie year, so I played four years at Sanford. I was blessed, fortunate, drafted. So for people that don't know the process, uh, played my senior year at Stanford, and then the draft happens right when the, w the uh, NCAA season is over. So right after the Women's Final Four, champion is crowned, there's the WNBA draft. And then right after that, you're immediately within a week or two in a WNBA training camp. So you go from four years of college straight into a WNBA season where you're playing, you're playing against the GOATs, right? And then after that, you go overseas. And then the overseas season goes, so if the WNBA is from May to October, October to May is the overseas season. And then you just keep going it's and going. You just There's go no all year. Break. So every professional women's basketball player that also plays in the WNBA has not taken a break at all unless they take a season off. So I went into my first um, overseas season in Italy and I got injured. And mm. I think it was just fully like my body was just tired because I've been playing since I was 10. Right. Um, so I got injured. And when I came back uh, to the States and was, you know, on my road to recovery, I was just sitting back. I was like, man, like, what am I going to do now that I'm not being able to play overseas? And like, even though I was fortunate, you know, had a good agent, all that stuff that like secured the money. I was just secure like, secure the bag. That's yeah, it. I got to secure the bag. What am I going to do financially that will put me in a good position professionally? So here's the part where Shanae branches out. Not only does she make the most of a difficult situation, she has the courage to do what's best for her media career, even if it means taking a big risk in the process. So like, how do I get that right job that will sustain me? Um, and what is that profession? And so ironically, I just was watching like sports TV and I was on this road to recovery. And by nature, being on the Connecticut sun at this time in Connecticut, there's ESPN. Yep. So when I was rehabbing, um, fortunately, when I was drafted, they do this ESPN car wash, meaning like talent, um, whether it's like celebrities or athletes, they all go through all of their shows. So when I was drafted, I did all the shows because I was a number one pick. And so... When I came back to Connecticut, they're like, oh, Chanae, you're rehabbing, so your team's traveling and you can't play. Can you hop on the show? Y'all, I didn't watch too much TV then. The show was first take. 
and his and hers. Wow. And so I was like, oh, the, yeah, sure, let me hop on. It was during the summer. <laughs> those and those were, are the big dog shows. Those are the like, big there's dog a lot shows. of ESPN shows. <laughs> those were like two of the top shows yeah. on the network. But it was the summer hiatus period, meaning like all the, you know, the main Vacation. people are gone. Yep. But like still, I remember, I'll never forget. Oh, God, I'm going to tell on myself. <laughs> um, I remember I was like talking NFL and I hit up my best friend from Stanford who played on a Stanford football team. I was like, yo, I'm talking Cowboys. You got to help me. Like, what do I need to say? He's like, Chanae, just make up a smart answer. And all you got to do is say, respect the star. I was like, all right, whatever. So I was like, yeah, Jerry Jones has a habit of always paying players that respect the star. <laughs> and everyone's like, like, the feedback. Everyone's like, this girl knows football. Like, I got all of this stuff, all this positive. Like, the producers were like, Chanae, we didn't know you could do this stuff. And literally, oh, wow. I was just laughing in my head. I was like, I just said the buzzword that my friend said. <laughs> And so I always say that was a sink or swim swim moment, and I didn't sink, I did not swim, but I treaded water. You right, know what I mean? I was right. treading. And so um, while I was rehabbing, I just got a couple opportunities. But like that show is such a big show that I realized the TV business, if I'm going to make this a profession, it's all about reps. And I couldn't just wait for Stephen A. or at the time Skip like to get sick, yep, right? Yep, like yep, I just yep. had to find a way to get reps. So obviously I went into women's college basketball and did a slate of games for um, the Pac-12 network. I'll mm -hmm. even date myself. Like the first job I got as a um, <laughs> working for the Pac-12 network, I was sent to interview mascots. <laughs> like put a mic up to mask like what yeah um, high, high quality stuff man <laughs> really high quality stuff yeah, but like you know when, next when, level journalism when you're media you gotta start somewhere hey facts um they gave me about like 20 or so pack well probably yeah 20 25 pack 12 espn games so i was an analyst at live games i was occasionally in studio and i found out oh i really love studio and so i was like okay i'm starting to get this vibe right mm -hmm. and then but you know ball is life so the following season i'm healthy I'm like, heck yeah, like ball is life. Let me come back and have this comeback season. And so I came back, everything went well, went back overseas again. This time it was my Achilles and I was in China. Uh -huh. And so after that second injury, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not built for this whole 24-7 basketball thing. So again, I'm rehabbing back home in Houston. And I used to watch First Take. And uh, so every morning I get up, watch the news, switch over to First Take, just get caught up just because I knew I was sort of in that media landscape. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and kept rehabbing in Connecticut. And ironically, and this is where, like, I always say success is where preparation meets opportunity. I was grinding. I was saying yes to every opportunity. Like, people don't really realize that I was actually, I think I was uninterrupted before you, bro. You were. So I, you I were was, OG. So I'm you an OG. Call me like, out everyone talks about, <laughs> I know. Like, I came in and met with Jimmy Spencer, Allison. I can't remember who else was in there. Allison's my agent. She's here. Two other people, huh? Oh, she said something. I can't remember. Just remember Jimmy. Hawk. Hawk Wouldn't was that not be messed there. up if I was in the room and you didn't remember me? I would have looked right over you. Um, uh, that's fine. So <laughs> messed up, Janae. We had an agreement before we got up on this but stage. But like, I was with Pac-12 Networks. We did, but sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I was with Pac-12 Networks. I was doing a whole bunch of different things. I went to Uninterrupted and met um, Jimmy Spencer, and it was like two other employees at that time. That's it. Yeah. They only had LeBron and. Draymond and Serena and then I was like number four and so I was like making these rounds with all these up and coming media companies and all that stuff which is why it's ironic that I'm here today because it's so cool like Full circle. the fact that like you know this company what it, it went from three to four employees to now it's like <laughs> two buildings in Hollywood like yep. what um so like yeah I came back and played uh, I came back and played again but this time I had the mindset of like I'm not going overseas anymore yeah but um fortuitously when I was in Connecticut 
an opportunity opened up. It was, um, they were launching Sports Center Africa. So I'd already had my foot in the door at mm -hmm. ESPN. And they said, well, Chanae, they're you know, African athlete, Connecticut. <laughs> this is perfect for you. <laughs> uh, I just paraphrased that whole thingy just to make the story short. But I, I basically was hosting Sports Center Africa for the millions of viewers, Sports Center for the millions of viewers throughout Africa. And I was getting a lot of silent reps, different sports. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the, my number one angle was basketball. But like basically what you see Sage Steele and Kevin Nagandi do, I was doing that, but no one really saw it. So that sort of gave me a leg up in this business. Right. And um, one thing turned, so I was doing sports in Africa and I was doing my own little NBA segments that sometimes I post on my Instagram and stuff. And then finally the sports center group, the domestic sports center group, the one we see every day here was like, Shanae, we see all your NBA content. You obviously have a passion for this. Will you come on as an NBA analyst? And I was shook. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, what? Like, what do you want me, like me to talk to NBA on SportsCenter? Like, like I'm Tracy McGrady, <laughs> like I'm Paul Pierce, like I'm all the top guys. I'm like, yeah, sure, we think you can do it. And so I remember I was just so nervous that first time. It was like December, like two years ago. Yeah. I went in. Y'all, you thought I was preparing for like my this huge test. <laughs> I had like pages and pages for like a 30-second hit on SportsCenter. But like I said my ish, walked off, I was proud. And the next thing you know, they started giving me more and more dates. And it turned into a full-time role as an NBA analyst and pretty much where I am today, which is really cool on different platforms and different shows. But Absolutely. Yeah, that's where it all started. It was from injuries, you know? And I think those injuries during that, like, a lot of times people, um, whatever, whenever something bad happens, we have the choice either to wallow in it or, like, at mm -hmm. least become better for it. And so I stayed positive and I tried to be better for it. And I started realizing, well, if this stream of income is just taken away from me today, yep. what am I going to do? And so I had to create a plan B, and that plan B actually now is sort of, like, paying me better than my, yeah. my, my we, we normal hustle. WNBA, we got to get right. What's well, funny, because... I was hosting at ESPN. I did Sports Center on Snap. That's where we first met, guys. That's where we first met. We were co-workers. Your Snapchats were the best, by the way. Thank you. Well, I, that's funny because my mother <laughs> would always say, "When's the pretty tall girl coming back?" <laughs> She's hilarious. Mama, so my mom I love would you. worse. She has Snapchat just to watch me, <laughs> and you were her favorite. You were the most entertaining, though. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, She's trying to make up for the look over top of you joke earlier. All right. So next, you got traded to the Los Angeles Sparks, where you're at now. Yes. The reasoning behind that, because I would imagine you were a part of that decision. Yeah. So what had happened was, first of all, I'm very <laughs> grateful for the state of the Connecticut. Um, shout out to Connecticut. Shout out to Connecticut for always holding me down for five years. But um, at at some point, like you know, I was so fortunate to like be working hard and be given opportunities both on the court and off that like something had to give, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning, uh, a lot of people didn't like all the stuff you see on TV is like the glamorous parts. You got the, the hair. I even got leftovers from the hair and makeup from today. Like that's the <laughs> glamorous parts of the TV business. Yeah. The harder parts are like okay, so. Like I talked about Sports Center, working Sports Center. This is what a day of Sports Center looked like. So I would stay up. So the games on the East Coast, so I was in Connecticut, would start at 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. But the West Coast games would start on the East Coast at 10 p.m. So I'd stay up till 1, the game wrapped, and then I had to send notes to my producers. So I'm sending it like until 1.45, 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. I lived an hour and a half from the ESPN studios in Bristol. So I went to bed at 2 and I had to be ready there at six. 
but I lived an hour and a half, so I had to leave by like 4.45, get to the studio, was there at 6. Being a woman, we got to have 30 minutes for hair and makeup. So I'd process with my producers from 6 to 6.30, 6.30 to 7. I would go on, um, 6.30 to 7, I'd go and do hair and makeup. 7, I was live on Sports Center. 8, I was live on Sports Center. 10, I was live on Sports Center. Some, noon, I was live on Sports Center. Just available. They didn't use me all the time, but usually it's like two or three at a time. Yep. Sometimes I do OTL until 1.30. And so by, finally, I'm debriefing around two, done with everything, sent my emails, getting ready, switching gears to being an athlete. Um, try to grab food, go home, work out. By the time I get home, work out and all that stuff, it's 4 or 5 p.m. I try to get a, like a cat nap from like 5 to 7. Games are live at 7. Do that over again. And I was mm. doing that for three years. I was doing that for three years because at one point I was a part-time um, employee, but then I was trying to fight and grind to be full-time. So right. that grind was just not sustainable forever. On top of, like, I think it's like in the TV business, you can do that. Um, but if you're a professional athlete also, it, and an athlete coming back from injury, it just it just is not always sustainable. So I just felt like, you know, especially with where my career was going, either I, I keep at that pace, which was not healthy for me, right. or I find a way where I can get better balance. And the best place for me was Los Angeles, meaning I hadn't seen my sister. So my sister graduated Stanford, but she was in that WNBA overseas cycle. So mm -hmm. I this is my right hand, like my twin. Everyone thinks we're twins. And I'd seen her probably over the last, eight six to eight six years probably a combined total of like two to three weeks just because she barely had time in between seasons and we see each other when we played against each other um and so just things were out of balance i was like yeah. i miss my sister i miss my family and so la is where i got to play with my sister la is where the the head of the like the center of the basketball literally we're in the form right now yeah. the center <laughs> of the basketball universe is here with the lakers and the clippers um i don't have to stay up that late because the west coast game ends at 10 yep i'm able able to still train i have all the resources available available just because la has more resources and so this is where i had to be so i sort of had to box out my old team uh -oh. to make opportunity to get to that's this that's a position, nice way to put it yeah um which i'm extremely grateful for but um this has been the best thing for me and you know i think we have a lot of guilt just because of athletes when we have to do what we have to do it's sort of like you're not loyal to your team you're not right. but at the same time like the game isn't sometimes loyal to us we can get traded things can happen they can stop playing there could be politics so once we have to uh, once we start treating ourselves like oh we are a business what is the best position for me to be successful mm -hmm. on both areas of my profession um it just was the best thing well that, that's that's another question i have for you if you were compensated better in the WNBA and you had fair pay do you think you would have been as motivated to you know go, foray into media as a player i really don't i feel like if i was yeah, if I was better compensated, I'd probably be a little bit like, oh, I'm good. Like, I yeah. don't have to do much more. I think I would have probably focused on just getting my master's. Mm -hmm. um, just because every day I get a phone call, Chanae, do you have a husband yet? Chanae, do you have your master's <laughs> yet? Like, that's the Nigerian family's for you. Um, so, like, I think I would have not felt like the sense of urgency, which right. is a, a luxury that most guys have. Yeah. But I think we're better for it because naturally as women, we're natural multitaskers. So yep. in the WNBA, you see people that are business owners, people that own restaurants, people that are also broadcasters like myself. Mm -hmm. um, so many different women doing great things that like I feel like even though we aren't compensated to what we like, 
the side hustles are actually shining a light to the capability of women. Yeah. And um, and when people start respecting that, that's when like the real magic happens. That's amazing. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with one final question for you. What is the equivalent of a WNBA championship for you off of the court? Oh man, this is such a great question. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That y'all even told me this was coming, and I'm like, <laughs> it just still blindsided me. I would say a WNBA championship for me personally off the court, or like, is this just big? Yeah, picture? like, what is your version of a WNBA championship for Cheney Ogumake off of the basketball court? I hope. So, like, I've had some, like, I've had to learn through, you know, trials and errors and go through it. And the crazy thing is what I'm going through just being on TV, being a female, being a female of color in a male-dominated industry, mm -hmm. like, it's been hard. Um, but it's been harder for the women before me. Like, even yep. Doris Burke, like, I don't even know how she <laughs> she right. dealt with people even questioning just the nature of a female voice on an NBA broadcast. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many trailblazers. I mean, you can, like, Nancy Lieberman, like, all those people that were just inserting themselves in the game. So, like, I just hope that, and it's, like, even now I'm, <laughs> like, about to take a flight to Orlando and then come back, like, in a 24-hour trip. Like, the stuff we have to do, we don't do it because we want to like to right. to hustle i think we do it because we have to mm -hmm. and if my experience by working and proving that like hey if you give a girl an opportunity a woman an opportunity this is what they can they, they can make of it like if all of my waking up at 3 a.m and all that stuff creates more opportunities for other girls that mm -hmm. look like me or just girls period like that to me will be the best case like if those doors are opened that so that like what I am what I'm going through I wish I could be like oh that's what just what women do like right they come more prepared they are yep. gonna drop more knowledge people aren't gonna question that we're gonna give you a seat at the table because we know that if this show is not going well this woman will hold you accountable the the saying of you know we work twice as hard to get just as far it's like so true it's like five times as hard to get just as far yep. so like my injuries all that stuff the the tough days if this just makes one producer say, hey, I know that women's basketball player. Let me put her on the show. Like, that didn't even happen until, like, someone sits and tries to do it. Yep. And I'm only here because there are other women that were doing it, and I'm reaping their benefit. Right. So hopefully, you know, it's it's a place where we don't have to fight so hard to get what we rightfully should have. That's amazing. Listen, you've been blowing doors open. You are a pioneer. I have twin daughters. And they also think you and NECA are twins. <laughs> and one of them wants to be on TV like daddy. So you're her favorite. I got her. So you are an inspiration to them and a lot of little girls around the country. Why they ain't come to a game, though? I, they're going to. Because, okay, you know, I also work sun up to sundown, Janae. That so, is true. His hustle is great as well. You know. Uh, but we're coming to a game this year because we're going to be in the box that you're going to pay for the tickets. So give a hand no, to Janae Ogumake. support the W. <laughs> No free tickets. <laughs> Thank That's you all for this branching out episode of Needing Go, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. Make sure you check us out again next week for another incredible conversation. But in the meantime, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your shows. It's fast, it's free, and it helps others find the show. Much appreciation to our partners in this show, Chase. Head over to Chase.com to see what Chase has to offer. Our executive producers are myself, T.D. St. Matthew Daniel and Ben Adair. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man always told me. A penny saved is a penny earned.